Reignite on RTE Radio 1 with AIB. It takes a certain kind of brave to run a business. We see it, we back it. Now, my next guest is Tom Eisenman. Tom is a professor at Harvard Business School where he led the teaching of a course called The Entrepreneurial Manager. More recently, Tom published a book called Why Startups Fail, in which he argues that there's six distinct patterns that account for the vast majority of startup failures. Tom Eisenman, you're very welcome to Reignite. Can I begin by talking to you Big, taking you back really to a commencement address you gave at your high school alma mater. Within the first few seconds, you were saying to the students, I want to talk about your failures, about how you can fail better. In saying that, Tom, were you trying to give them a head start down a predictable road? Uh, Padua Franciscan High School, all boys uh, Catholic high school in the US, uh, was my alma mater. I played sports badly. Um, and had been benched. I hope that I, I'm sure it's the same expression <laughs> well, in we Ireland. We understand. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, I had been the starting uh, catcher on the varsity baseball team and was benched, and I was just furious and uh, quit. Um, stomp, stomped off that very day uh, without getting any explanation. You know, I, I think I had the lowest batting average in the history of my high school, <laughs> um, so it was very understandable. And the coach was—I was a senior, sort of about to graduate. The coach wanted to give a junior on the team some practice in the role. It was just an astonishingly immature thing to do, a a real failure. I I talked to the students about that and how later in my career, um, when I came up for promotion the first time at Harvard Business School, I had a big setback. They told me the work just wasn't good enough um, and I either needed to sort of put my head down for a couple of years with no guarantees that it would be successful and try again. Or I could quit. And, and some of my uh, mentors and told me at the time, look, you have a lot of great options on the outside. Uh, there's, there's no sure thing here. We wouldn't blame you at all if you just left. But I stuck with it. Wanted the graduates to sort of understand how much there is to learn from failure and to think twice before quitting. And how do you define failure? As a teen, it was getting benched. But how should we think uh-huh. it more broadly? Now, the failure there was quitting. Uh, that, that, was, that was the bad move, um, and, uh, and I learned from it. For entrepreneurs, the definition in the book, um, yeah, I, I know you're a founder, may not sit well. Um, it's actually focused on investors and, and whether they made money or ever will make money. And uh, that's just one definition of failure, of course, in one perspective. But, but the reality is, um, as startups mature, only a small fraction of them, only 40% um, after about five years are still run by the founder. Usually um, a professional CEO steps in. And so so only taking the founder's perspective and, and focusing on the founder's priorities is not necessarily the right thing. There's also society's perspective, of course. You know, There, there are financially successful startups that we all wish would disappear. They pollute, um, they have addictive products. Um, I know you work a lot on sort of how to avoid fake news. Uh, that's a problem. So like so many things, it's nuanced. Um, You have to ask about failure from whose perspective, the entrepreneurs, the investors, society, and it is possible to fail financially and uh, show other entrepreneurs what not to do. There's actually, that's a contribution. And in all of your research, I think as part of the book, you, you spoke to something like 500 founders, CEOs. One of the constant things you found is that the best leaders are those who don't allow their egos to get easily bruised. Uh, yeah. I mean, e- ego is right at the core of entrepreneurship, right? It takes a certain amount of ego to try to do something no one has ever done before um, without the resources to do it. That That's a death-defying act, and, and it takes ego. 
but it's so rarely the case that you hit it on the mark um, the first time and, and an entrepreneur almost invariably has to pivot, move in new directions, try new things. And when they do, they have to backtrack. They have to go back and tell people, you know, that, that vision I had six months ago that I sold you on when you joined my company or you invested in my company, that was wrong. And, and we're going to go in a new direction. Um, that, that takes a, a flexible and resilient ego. Is it surprising to you, given that there's, I would like to think, higher levels of self-awareness? There has been just copious amounts of books written on how to fail fast, how to build successful businesses. We have the whole lean uh, startup model from Eric Riesa and others. And yet still three out of four startups fail. Why do you think that is? Reese, Eric Reese and, and Steve Blank and others have done a fantastic job of disseminating these ideas and and, and in universities we've been we've been training a generation of, of entrepreneurs to follow these lean startup methods. Unfortunately, a, a lot of entrepreneurs pick and choose the parts of lean startup that they love. And, and entrepreneurs, of course, have a bias for action. They want to get things done and get going. And many entrepreneurs dive in too quickly. They've got a vision burning bright of the problem they want to solve and, and, and the solution for that. And they start building, building and selling. Lean startup followed properly has a phase that Steve Blank calls customer discovery up front, really before you start the engineering work, getting deeply immense, immersed in uh, customer needs. And we're not talking about months and months and months of work. This is weeks, you know, maybe four weeks. So a lot of entrepreneurs suffer what I call a false start. They ignore the beginning half of lean startup. They skip the upfront research, go straight to engineering. And the chance that you're going to have a first version of the product that hits the mark is is low. And so, But it takes maybe four months to build it, sell it, figure out that it's not working and figure out what to do next. And so to save four weeks upfront of, of research bef- before that, uh, they've wasted four months. And if you've only got a year's worth, say, of capital to last before you run out of money, that's a very big increase in your odds of failure. Yeah, so you're you're building something that no one actually wants because you haven't taken the time, you haven't had the discipline to go out and actually talk to your prospective customers and understand what is the problem that you're trying to solve for. Exactly. The, the, the other misstep with Lean Startup is we want to get feedback fast. And as an entrepreneur, the first feedback comes from early adopters Early adopters are often very different than the mainstream customers you need to build a successful business. And if you only focus on the early adopters and they may be foaming at the mouth enthusiastic about your product, um, you may assume incorrectly that the whole world wants it. Um, You may also find that the early adopters have different needs than the mainstream customers. Drew Houston, when he built Dropbox, uh, had this experience. His, His first customers were software engineers with incredibly sophisticated needs for file management, multiple computers, a lot of collaboration, big files. He, he, when he, when he um, applied to Y Combinator, he talked about building a business that was so simple to use his mother could use it to save her recipes. And he, and he had the discipline actually to build that and not build what the software engineers were asking for. I call that a false positive mistake, right. which is basically, the, and we, we're familiar with false starts from the Olympics, which just happened. And unfortunately, false positives from so much COVID testing. One of the other mistakes leaders might make in those early days is they might have the right idea, they actually have the problem defined, they've done their research, but they pick the wrong people to go on that journey with them. So the good idea, but bad bedfellows, as you call it. 
that was actually the case study that was a catalyst for this work. A pair of founders that I'd worked closely with at school after they graduated, two um, young professional women who were both tall and couldn't find um, work clothing that fit them well. And so they uh, they set out to design and manufacture that. And uh, it turns out to be very hard to do. Neither of them had experience in, in fashion. Uh, so they hired people who did. And there's lots of specialized tasks in fashion, pattern cutter, fabric sourcer. Uh, these people uh, came from big companies where they were used to doing just that role. And of course, in an early stage startup, everybody has to jump in and scrum around um, whatever problem is burning hottest. These folks would say, well, I'm the fabric sourcer. I don't know how to solve that problem. <clears throat> so they hired for skill and not attitude. And, and, and in any startup, especially in an early stage startup, you need both. So bad bedfellows. And ultimately ended in failure? Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's what set me on this path. I, uh, I could point to a lot of things that went wrong, but I couldn't pinpoint the cause, the root cause. Um, and here I was a supposed expert on entrepreneurship. And this, as you say, three out of four is a pretty important phenomenon in my field. I was a, a failure at explaining failure. So here I am eight months later. I think I've, I've learned a bit. One of the things, you know, when anyone starts out in a special project or thinking about a career change or starting a business, whatever it might be, they'll get these mantras off, you know, just do it, be persistent, bring the passion, bootstrap it yourself. But you would argue you have to find the balance and nuance in a lot of those mantras. Yeah, I love I love the word balance. And, and I, I end the book with a letter to an imagined first time founder in my role at school. I deal with so many first time founders. And they get um, conventional wisdom uh, about what makes for a great entrepreneur. And, and most of it's right most of the time. There's a reason it's wisdom. But followed blindly, this conventional wisdom can actually boost your odds of failing. As the examples you've given, be persistent, right? Every entrepreneur is going to fail in small ways over and over and over again. You have to dust yourself off, get up and go back at it. But persistence can turn to stubbornness and stubbornness can keep you from pivoting when the universe is showing you that your idea isn't working and you need to try something else. Um, grow. Every every entrepreneur loves to grow. It's it's how a lot of entrepreneurs keep score, and certainly what in, what in venture capital investors will push you for. But growing too fast can definitely get a, a startup into a lot of trouble. All sorts of uh, things go wrong when you grow too quickly. Probably the biggest piece of advice an entrepreneur would get would be to trust her gut and trust your intuition and instincts. And and that's right. Moving quickly and flexibly is a huge advantage for any entrepreneur, especially if you're competing with big, slow companies. But there are a lot of decisions like who to have as a co-founder. Um, sh should you embrace early adopters? Who's the right investor? They're so important that your gut's going to be racked by strong emotion. You're going to make bad decisions like I did when I quit the baseball team. Uh, here, um, the, the advice is follow the advice of Daniel Kahneman, who's a Nobel Prize winning economist who wrote a wonderful book, um, Thinking Fast and Slow. And so, so entrepreneurs need to think fast, think intuitively and, and follow their gut. But there are situations where they have to slow down sleep on it, sleep on it two nights, write out the pros and cons and show them to somebody who knows you and, and your temperament and your company and take the time to make the decision. Can I ask you finally, Tom, what you would say to people who are currently dealing with, you know, quote unquote failure, we're living through a pandemic here in Ireland, our economy is slowly restarting and they're just businesses that we know have already gone into liquidation. They will never open their doors again. You've cancelled a lot of people like that. What do you say to them? I mean, I think the important thing to understand with, with any failure is it's likely a mix of mistakes made by the responsible person and misfortunes completely out of their control. 
and the COVID shutdowns are, are a good example of that. So many restaurants and, and travel-related businesses shut down through no fault at all of the, of the entrepreneur. But um, it's more typically the case that there's some mix of the two, mistakes and misfortunes. And it's quite important for the entrepreneur to know their role in the failure. Um, many entrepreneurs will deny responsibility, um, not accept blame, blame others. My co-founder dropped the ball. My investors pushed me in the wrong direction. And they haven't learned much from that their failure, and that's a missed opportunity. At, at the other extreme, there are entrepreneurs who take too much responsibility. Uh, this was all my fault. I'm hapless and hopeless. I should have never been an entrepreneur. I should certainly never be an entrepreneur again. And, and sometimes that's true, but more often it's the case that that individual made mistakes and can learn from them, but there was a lot of misfortune involved. And society um, will be deprived of the opportunity to see uh, the amazing thing they could build. So the, the advice is you're going to be racked by the strongest possible emotions, grief, sadness, anger, fury. Uh, let those settle down through some combination of distraction, find side projects, do some yoga, and rumination. You can't escape the rumination. But if it's all rumination, you're going to make yourself crazy. And if it's all distraction, you won't learn anything. So after time, you can find the balance, um, understand your role, and hopefully find this middle ground between denying responsibility and taking too much responsibility. Very good. And ultimately, yeah, we have to accept the risk of failure and learn from it. And I know you're you're like to quote Irish playwright Samuel Beckett, who says, ever tried, mm-hmm. ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better. Tom Eisenman, thank you so much for joining us here on Reignite. Thank you very much. And the UK and Ireland version of Tom Eisman's book is called The Fail Safe Startup and it's published by Penguin Business.